morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing folks all around the area and all around the country. Even all around the world. Wherever you may be. That's it. Mm. Call. And like I said, it's just so easy. Just 291 225 in front of them. That's it. Out, if you're out of the area, if you're in Baton Rouge, you don't even have to do that. <laughs> we were talking just between two rows before the show right. a, a little bit about different accessories and stuff. It seems like probably at least once a week I get the email that my car did not come with power windows. Okay. How can I add that to it? Or my car did not come with cruise control. How can I add that to it? Or, or a add, certain accessory. That add, the, yeah, add the accessory. And while it is wise in a way to get the least number of accessories possible from a standpoint you, of maintenance and repair, sure. there's less stuff, less to break. But by the same token, you do have to drive the car. You can probably keep it for a number of years. You, you want to be comfortable. So get what you need when you buy the car and that's something that a lot of people just don't do they really don't sit down and think about what things the car has on or what things it doesn't have on it before they buy it they look for the price and the availability and color the color (laughs) and the sound system maybe but they end up with a car that lacks some fundamental function that they want they Mm -hmm. desire and it's kind of like i try to explain to people you wouldn't buy a one-story house if you had your heart set on a two-story house. Right. And expect to, to go in and tear it down or add a second story. It would be way cheaper to buy the two-story house. Exactly. Than it would to buy this one and modify it to what you wanted. And for the large part, it's like that with automobiles as well. Well, and then when you start modifying things, you start getting into all different types of uh, problems there. Well, because you have to dissemble so much of the car in many cases there are changes to the wiring harness changes to this changes to that the various little servos and stuff that make it all work have to be in place whereas if you bought it with that accessory already in it it It, was already integrated into the automobile assembled at one time and more to the point it was engineered to work with all of that sure because when you start adding some things you increase the electrical load on Mm -hmm. the car now the car that came with those accessories had a bigger alternator right and maybe a bigger battery box and heavier wires. All that was integrated in, whereas if you go start trying to add it in, it's very difficult to change all of that. Or exactly. very Let's put it expensive, expensive, more so than difficult, because when uh, you start modifying that many things, taking that many things apart, number right. one, you're going to pick up other issues, collateral issues. You take the dash out, and then some little spacer doesn't get put back in the exact right place. Then you got to squeak in the dash or... Something cracks when you take it apart or whatever, depending on the age of the car, it gets more and more complicated. Right. I guess the point is when you buy a car, do your research up front. Make sure you're getting what it is that you want in the car rather than expect to change it into or what add you it want. later, yeah. I guess it's sort of like getting married. You don't want to marry a person thinking you're going to change them. Into what you, you got to marry the right one. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go over our phone lines. We've got Richard on the line. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. I got a lady friend of mine's son. I'm working on a 2010 Camaro for him. It's a 3.6. Mm-hmm. 
and it failed to go for the inspection. It said camshaft sensor and crankshaft sensor. Well, I changed them. Yeah, it's probably not the sensors, Richard. That engine, particularly in those year models, were notorious for the timing change stretching on them and changing the timing, and it throws those sensors out of sync. And so it starts throwing those codes. And that's the way the software is written. It throws a, a, a yeah, cam it's, code. It's going to not say the cam sensor is bad. It says it can't correlate because the chain has stretched, and now they're not matching each other. So that's why it's it, – it, you just learn an important lesson about codes. You so know. I got a chance because I took it back to a, a local mm-hmm. parts house because the light wouldn't go off. Right. And that time it said the timing chain. Well, there you mm-hmm. go. And, and you know, it, it does no code that says timing chain. There's a code that says cam sensor sync error, and, and they just guessed and sold you a bunch of junk to fix that. And when that didn't do it, they went to the next thing on the list, and it happened to be timing chains. I'm 73 years old, and I used to build race motors yeah. and everything. Well, everything is Richard, different. everything <laughs> that you ever knew about a car, forget it. it. Yeah. None of that applies anymore, and that's yeah. going to get you. You're going to run out of money way before you run out of chains. Uh, I guesses. know. Is that a major job <laughs> yes, for me yes, to yes. do? Yes. You're not going to do it. It's, it takes special tools. Well, special, the motor's got a near about out of the car. You just know how. How's Arnold Schwarzenegger say? Make my day. You have made my day. Thank you. you. All right. All right. All right, Richard. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number you want part of the automotive hour. You know, that's a nice little motor, but it is extremely complicated. It is, and what they did, when they originally designed the engine, in my opinion, the timing chain was too small, too light. Right. Then they came out with direct injection and hung that pump off of one of the heads, which the timing chain is now driving a 2,000 PSI pump. Right. And that was way too much, and so the chains end up stretching. Now, I believe there was a warranty extension on that engine for a at, while. At one time. Now, being a 2010, this being 18, eight, that's eight years. I'm probably out. pretty sure that's over. But, Richard, if you're still listening, you might just want to give them a call and see if there's any kind of warranty extension in place. There was at one time. I'm more than sure that's expired by now. But, yeah, just kind of a bad design. And I'll tell you, if you followed GM's recommendations as far as all changes. You're going to have problems. Yeah, you push those all yeah. changes out. I don't know, what do they say, eight, ten eight, thousand like miles, that, yeah. whatever, you're going to have those problems. Oh, yeah. Because that chain is already marginal. I mean, if I own one of those cars, I'd be changing it over 3,000 miles with synthetic oil. Yep. And we've changed a number of them. But oh, in fact, we had one the other day, a, a yeah, 360. Think, it was in an Acadia, I believe. Yeah, I believe we did. Just Same motor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a major ordeal. The engine and trans drivetrain had to come down out of the front, had to actually lift the body off of it, mm-hmm. and then work on it sitting there on the floor on jack stands mm-hmm. where you could access everything because it's it's crammed into that little body it is and it is extremely difficult to work on well and like i said the whole front of the motor's got to come apart and most of that or some of that will come out some of it won't come out you know most of the engines today are just a lot more difficult than the ones richard was talking about mm-hmm. i remember a v8 chevrolet if you want to change the lifters in it i mean you basically put the intake off and they were right there you pulled them on. i took the rock arms loose and pulled the lifters out right well, on a modern Chevy V8, you got to take the heads off to get the lifters out. Right. And you can once you pull the, the valley covered, the the old ones when you pull the intake, you could see down into right. the, the lifter valley. The new ones when you pull the intake, you, there's a plate right. that's bolted across the top. Block you got to take plate. it off, and then you can see the lifter valley. But like you were saying earlier, you can't take yeah. the lifters out well, without the, taking the, the heads off. The head is on top of the lifter, and it's got room to move up and down, but it's too long to come out of the lifter bore Correct. without hitting the head. I think the Chrysler Hemi is the same way. Mm-hmm. I don't think the lifters will come out. They, they're too long to slide out of the engine block of lifter bore without hitting the cylinder head first. Mm-hmm. So the head has got to come off. And again, when you are building those engines, 
it basically makes no difference. Oh, exactly. You pop them in there, slap the heads on top. It's part of the assembly process. But when you go to repair it, you just took a three-hour job and turned it into a 13- or 14-hour job. Sure. And a lot of times people ask, you, why does it cost so much to fix these cars? And a lot of it is because of the engineering they're using. When you go to an overhead cam engine, you vastly complicate the process of taking the heads off. Mm-hmm. Because now, now the head have to, all the timing chains and all that have to come off. Right. So it just gets a lot, lot, lot more complex. Well, so, and, and your timing chains are a lot longer now mm-hmm. on the overhead bow, um, cam engines. Well, and they snake all down in there. So it's not just a matter of holding them in place, taking the sprocket off, putting it back in. Because if anything moves, now it's all out of time. So and now the whole front of the motor has to come apart exactly. to be retimed. Well, you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about that uh, variable displacement or displacement on demand in the sure. V8 Chevrolet engines and sure. how the lifters can go bad in that. And if you catch it real quick and just change the lifters, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Well, there in case, that's the one we were just discussing that the heads have to come off right, to get the lifters out. If that lifter starts to turn in the bore and wipes out the camshaft. Right, because you don't have a flat roller i mean a flat tappet anymore you have a roller right on the bottom of that cam so it's designed to run up and down it's not designed to turn right it, it rotates and in one direction only when it turns in the bore if it turns all the way around and locks back you may be okay but if it starts turning in the bore and that wheel starts well, turning on that cam 90, shaft, de- 90 degrees it's it going to wipe it out yeah it ain't gonna take long to tear it up and with that then the whole front of the motor has to come apart the or tire front of the it's motor. a new engine assembly Basically, it's going to probably be a new engine because the amount of labor involved taking that engine apart to that degree in the chassis is more than the labor to change the engine. Plus, you got all the debris from that camshaft circulating, circulating. in the oil. So if the car's got more than 150,000 miles right. somewhere, it's probably not practical to, to try repair to repair it. it. You right. just assume, go ahead and... Replace it. Pop it out, pop a new engine in there, and move on from there. Sure. Hey, we're going to take our first little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Bow and Mirror, good match? Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Mate? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. 291-6901. Put you right in touch with us. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning to get your questions answered live, you can always get your questions answered by visiting our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button and fill out the form and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be easier than that. We were talking to Richard just a little bit ago, and I kind of 
I feel for him because I'm basically in the same position. I'm about the same age as he is, and I worked on race cars and all that stuff myself. Right. But unfortunately, almost everything that you knew then will just get you into trouble now. Yes, it will. You're really better off if you never knew anything about <laughs> it because at least you'll leave it alone then. All right. But it's just changed up so, so much, and the tooling and stuff to do it. Now, I mean, if you want to dedicate a good portion of your life for a couple of weeks to doing this to say hey i did it that's right. fine get the manuals read it study it figure out what you're going into buy the special tools buy to do it or with. rent or, or acquire the special tooling because you're gonna have to hold those cams in position to retime them and all that kind of crud and to me it's cheaper just to pay somebody to do it sure but some people enjoy doing that kind of stuff and just want to say hey i did it and that's fine i mean i got no problem with that but I guess where I was going is make sure you know where you're going. What you're getting into. What you're getting into. Don't just expect just pop in there and, right. you know, it's like a V8 Chevrolet we used to be. It's totally different deal. And, <laughs> and I tell you, you know, once once you get into something like that and realize you're in too deep, it's going to be kind of hard to find somebody to pick it up from where you're at to put it back together. Most shops do not want to get into anything that's been disassembled. Right. Because there's always a problem of finding all the parts and pieces and knowing where this was and knowing where that was. A lot, Other, of, it, a lot of it is memory. You know, this boat came from here. This boat goes there. Well, and professional mechanics have ways of laying stuff out sure. that prompts their memory to put it back together correctly. Not only that, but if there was a pre-existing condition and it's torn down, you can't test for that. Right. So you may go in and put all this back together perfectly, and in the other condition, if manifest and you get blamed for sure. it. So shops are just very reluctant to get into something that's already been dissembled. So if you think there's any possibility that you're not going to be able to handle this, it's way right. better off to make that decision before you get into it exactly. than halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Ellen online. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning. Good morning. I have a 2015 Accord. Mm -hmm. I'm noticing some uh, residue on the front, front brakes, disc brakes. Mm -hmm. And that's not on the back brakes. I remember several years ago you talking about using the emergency brake every time, which I do. Yes, ma'am. Well, and then I thought I heard you say something about using that emergency brake to adjust the brakes. Well, on some cars that is the case. On other more modern cars, that no longer really applies. On the, okay. on the older cars, we had drum brakes on the rear. And the parking brake was part of the drum brake assembly. You had to use the parking brake and use it correctly or they wouldn't work. Now, on the cars with four-wheel disc brakes, which are the vast majority of modern cars, the a caliper is self-adjusting, so that really doesn't apply any longer. Okay. And then on the real, real new stuff, they've got electric parking brakes on them. Uh, it's an electrical servo that applies the parking brake. But to kind of answer what's going on with it, the front brakes do a lot more of the stopping. The car is biased to the front because most of the weight is in the front of that car. So it is natural to get way more residue on the front than you could get on the rear. The rears are doing a considerable amount less stopping than the fronts are. So that's probably why you're seeing the majority of the residue on the front brakes. Now, two, some cars still do have discs on the front and drums on the rear. A drum brake is not going to spread that residue on the wheel because it's captured inside the drum. So it could be a different design would also explain it. But I guess the you can't really prevent that. It's just sort of a natural function. The pads wear, the disc is spinning, it slings it out, it goes through the holes in the wheel and gets on it, and it's unattractive. The best thing to do is to wash it off, and you can just take like some paste wax, just like you'd wax the car with. Uh -huh. If you wax the wheels with something like that, because that's just a painted surface, just like your fender is. If you wax that, it'll protect it to where it just kind of washes off pretty easily. 
What you don't okay. want to do is get on there with any kind of harsh chemical. There are some wheel cleaners and white wall cleaners and stuff. Do not use that stuff because while it will remove the residue, it's going to also damage the paint. You know, you wouldn't put anything on a wheel that you wouldn't put on the fender of the car because okay. it's, it's a painted surface. So best thing is just take some soap and water, wash it all off, get it nice and clean, and then apply a good heavy coat of paste wax to the wheel. That way, next time, it'll just wash right off pretty easily. Now, with all that being said, make sure you keep it clean because if you let it go over several months, it uh-huh. will it will eat back through that wax, and it will actually attack that paint, right. and then it'll never come out. You know, it has certain metallic particles in those brake pads that gets on there, and, of course, being metal, eventually it's going to start to rust, and the rust will wick its way down and get into the wheel and damn it, it'll discolor your wheels. So if you get it off and keep it off, it's just kind of like a little maintenance thing. Some cars do it more than others. Some cars have ceramic brake pads, and even though they do produce a dust, it's more of a white kind of a dust, and you don't see it on the wheels. It's still there. Okay. You don't. It's not like the black dust like the metallic pads had. And it just may be the pads that that car is equipped with. Uh, one other thing you might just check with Honda and see if there's an updated pad, because sometimes they've come out with updated pads. If they notice there was a problem, they'll change the formulation on the pad to one that doesn't do it as much. Finally, and just a caution, you look on the Internet, they do make these shields that go on the inside of the wheel that's supposed to keep that dust off. Do not by any means use anything like that, because what it does, it does shield the dust off the wheel, but it also shields the air off the brakes. And then you start warping the brake rotors and overheating the brakes. It's a much bigger problem than what you got now. Sounds great. Thank All right. You so much. Okay, Alan. All right. Th- thanks for calling. Right. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That used to be a real, real common issue. I remember we used to get cars in with just horrendously warped brake rotors, and right. we have those brake shields in there. I hadn't seen those in a few years. It has been a while. They've kind of gone away. I guess since the ceramic brakes have become more popular, they don't. Ceramic does still wear. It does still dust. It still makes the dust on the wheel, but it's a white dust. So you don't really see it on the exactly. aluminum wheel. Exactly. It just and it washes off. But what you'd really see the metallic pads had that metallic dust, which would rust, and when right. it rust, it would turn black or, or dark, red. dark red. Yeah. And the rust would start to attack the paint and. I've seen them to where they were just staying so bad, you'd have to have the wheels repainted or replaced sure. to get it off of there. It is an annoyance. really doesn't hurt the car. It's just, just kind of unsightly. the way it's designed. It's unsightly, but, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah. you got to watch when you start modifying things that you can create a bigger problem. You're, exactly. You're looking at, okay, yeah, this will fix this, and it will, but it's going to create a bigger problem than you had before. You know, like I said, sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. <laughs> <laughs> So you got to really, really watch. And it's amazing how much time and effort engineers put into cars. They really, for the most part, they analyze and think this stuff to death. Oh, yeah. They, they really do. And, I mean, they get a tough rap because something goes wrong or whatever. But for the most part, given all the constraints they operate under, they do a marvelous job of engineering cars. Sure. And most of the problems that you see are when people take it on themselves to re-engineer the car. <laughs> <laughs> and that just never, never really no, it works never works out. It doesn't. You were talking just before the calls about accessories on uh-huh. cars and try to buy the car with the accessories you like because adding them, and it goes into exactly what we're talking about now, when you start introducing an aftermarket accessory or something that was not engineered to go on the car, you can create a, a whole bigger bunch problem. of other problems. Sure. It's amazing how often we'll get a car in and someone's put an aftermarket radio in it and now the battery's going dead, and they just can't figure it out. And what it is, this aftermarket radio is not compatible with the computer system or the networks, 
So it's sitting there pinging, looking for that old radio that's not there anymore, right. and keeping and all keeping these computers up open. all night, and the battery keeps going dead. Right. And nobody thought of a battery going dead <laughs> when they decide to put a, you know, it's kind of like nobody thought about uh, when you decide to drain the swamp, being up you behind an alligator. That's it. <laughs> it just happens. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you got to kind of watch that. You know, there's, I guess, one accessory that I do recommend people go ahead and take on himself to add because it's sort of a high dollar add-on when you buy the car and it causes almost zero problems to add it later and that's a gps mm-hmm. you know to get a gps in the car it may cost you a thousand fifteen hundred dollars or so as an added accessory right and you can buy a little gps all it does is plugs right into the cigarette lighter a little standalone unit right has no other connection to the car so it doesn't really hurt anything it's non-intrusive you can take it from one car to another. Exactly. If you have two or three cars, you can use it in all your cars. You don't have to buy individual ones. You only have to pay for one update. And more to the point, when it breaks, most of those are so inexpensive. Right. Just take it out, throw it away, yeah. and go buy another one. I've got a little Gorman that does by far more things than I'd ever want it to do. Sure. I think it was 89 bucks. Right. And I've been using it for five years now. So if it breaks. Yeah, you, know, you got your money's worth. It's hitting the can. I'm going to get another one. And, you know, we were talking about that same thing. We had a Honda come in. It's been a several years ago now mm-hmm. that the the GPS module went out. Right. The car wouldn't run. They had to have it towed in mm-hmm. because that, that module went out. And, and I, I believe that module was close to $2,000, right. if I'm not mistaken. It was obscenely expensive. So that, I guess for every rule you make or everything you say, every piece of advice you give, there's always going to be some caveat. Sure. You know, some exception that's going to make the rule. And that's the one thing that I would not, I mean, if I bought a car, I love the car and had GPS in it. Yeah. Great. Uh, Great. Yeah. That's what it came with. That's fine. But I would prefer to just go ahead and buy a good GPS, add it in, and not have to go through all the potential hazards that come with a factory GPS system. Exactly. I know in the little Toyota that we just bought, it doesn't come with GPS, but has an app that you can hook your cell phone and it will recognize GPS off your phone. Okay. And when I first bought the car, I played with it a little bit, and the battery in the cell phone kept going sure, dead. Sure, sure. Because this thing is pinging it constantly, even when it's not there and you're not even in the car. It's looking battery, for it. It cuts your battery life to almost nothing. So I just disinstalled the little app, went and got my Gorman plugged Plug it in, in, and it works perfect. And I actually like it a whole lot better. Well, yeah. And it's just one of those things. You know, Like I said, no matter what you say, there's going to be an exception. That's the one exception that I... Anything else, I try to buy it in the in, car. Already. Buy it with it in there. Right. And that way you're going to be a whole lot happier because generally it's going to work a whole lot better. It's going to hold up better. Everything in the car is going to work with it. Sure. It's designed to work with everything there. Mm-hmm. It's just, just so much easier to get it in there. And this is like radios. If you want a certain kind of radio, buy it in the car. Sure. With bigger things, four-wheel drive, you got to buy it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you would yeah. be cheaper to sell the car and go buy one. That's you, already... Like, already got it then to try to add that mm-hmm. it's just a very 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 intrusive procedure to go in and try to add something like four-wheel drive to sure, a car sure or remove it for that matter. <laughs> yeah so buy the car you want with whatever accessories you want in there you can be a lot better off hey one more quick little break be right back more Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah. 
A general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar, and I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie, I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, this is Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment on the show, give us a call. 291-6901 will get you right to us. Got all our lines wide open. That's sitting here waiting for something to do. That's it. <laughs> We're talking about accessories and such as that. And I guess it's natural when you start to see like things that affect safety. Mm-hmm. Some people kind of get a little overboard. Uh, well, they get want to jump on board with it and they'll say well these new cars have lane departure they have uh, traction control or stability track and all this kind of stuff that would be real nice if my car could do that is there a way for me to install this and i guess the short answer is probably not right even though all of that is largely integrated into the car whether you've got the feature or not for instance traction control if you've got ABS brakes, which most cars do, right? Trash control is largely just software above that. Because right. All the components are there already. It's using the sensors and stuff from the ABS. They may have to add a yaw sensor or something like that to detect sideways motion. They may need a sensor steering. on the steering column, but it's largely there. But the software is different, and sometimes it's able to be added to the car or activated. Sometimes it's not. Right. Even though it's there, because of your VIN number says it's not, it may not be something that you can go in and actuate in the field. Mm-hmm. There's, I guess if you were a factory engineer with access to the original code, you could go in and change, change it. the code. Change the code. Software. Re-enable it. But I remember at one time I was talking to a guy, and this was back when hard drives just came out, and most of them were in the 5 megabyte range. And you right. could buy a 10 meg hard drive for a lot more. And he said, well, they're basically the same drive. It's just enabling more use of the drive. Okay. And I don't know if that's a fact or not, but he says it's just the way the fat sectors are set up, whether it'll let you get to this other part of the drive or not. But basically, the drive is a drive. They can tell you it can use as much, you can put as much as little as they want on there, just kind of software. And I always thought about that. I know we bought an alignment machine one time, and we bought certain features that we wanted. Right. And the service guy was out one day, and he was showing me. He says, okay, and this is the, I said, well, I don't have all this. I said, well, it's on there. It's just you're you not have able to use to it. It doesn't come up on your menu. Sure. And sure enough, he brought up with his little factory tool, and you could see it all. You could use it all. It was all there. Exactly. It just wouldn't come up on your menu because you hadn't paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> all a matter of price. Hey, I guess so. Let's go back to our phone lines. Jonathan, good morning, Jonathan. Hey, good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing, doing great, great, sir. Good. I got a uh, 2004 GMC Sierra 2500 HD. Okay. Uh, it's got the 6.0 mm-hmm. uh, gas motor in it. And every morning when I get up, or whether it's warm or whether it's cold in the morning, I get either piston slap or lifter tap. I can't tell which which it is. And I've upgraded to a little bit thicker of an oil, but I was just wondering if you guys knew of, of a way to 
Yeah, that, that that noise, if it's the one I'm thinking about, is pretty much typical of that design. And GM's right. got a bulletin out, and they say, hey, don't worry about it. It's, it's just the way the noise, the engine mm-hmm. is. I know we used to get a lot of complaints about that years ago. We don't hear as many anymore. But they always made that noise. It's piston slap, if it's noise I'm thinking of. It's not detrimental to the car, or so GM says. Okay. And I've seen them with 250,000 miles still doing it, so obviously it's not a big deal. Right. <laughs> Lifter noise generally will always get worse as the engine warms up because the oil is okay. already thick when it's cold. And I would go back to the original 5W30 in that because different oil can cause other kinds of problems with that engine okay. uh, and also okay. knock out your catalytic converters because it increases the windage and throws more vapor up. So go back gotcha. to the original oil. Uh, it's not really detrimental. If, in fact, if you want to go to GM's tech bulletins, there is a bulletin out for piston slap. And when the engines first came out, I don't remember back in, was it 98, 99? Something like that, somewhere five, three, there, yeah. A lot of people complained about it. And I guess people have just gotten used to it now, so they don't complain anymore. But uh, they did always have a slapping noise when they first cranked up. It goes away after about 10, 15 seconds. And right. It, G- yeah, it does go away. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't going to warp the, the piston. No, no, GM said it's normal. And, I mean, apparently they were right because I hadn't seen where it's hurt anything. Right. Now, okay. I have, how, long, how long does it take for the noise to go away? Well, see, I got ninety-two thousand miles on it. It'll it'll probably go away in about a minute. Okay. Um, depending on, I try to be easy on the motor too when I'm taking off because mm-hmm. because so, that it worries me. <laughs> they also had another issue with that engine: the exhaust manifold bolt on the back of the head, the last one on the mm-hmm. manifold would break off. Mm-hmm. And when it okay. does, when the engine's cold, the exhaust can escape yeah. through the gasket. Tap, 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 tap. But Sounds as soon as like it, a lifter, as soon as it warms up, that manifold swells up from the heat, seals it up, and it, the noise goes away. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, that might be what it is. Well, I'll tell you uh, what you well. do. Just go look at your exhaust manifolds, particularly the one on the driver's side all the way in the back, and see if that bolt's okay. missing. And bolt's that's not going to be missing. The head's going to be broke right. off. Now, if okay. that's the case, that's real expensive to fix because you can't get to that thing in the car to drill the broken bolt out. You would have to virtually pull the head off. almost pull the head off to get right. to it. And then you've got to replace oh, wow. the manifold because the manifold is warped, and the warpage is what breaks the bolt. So what I would do is probably just put up with noise. There are some little aftermarket parts that bolt up and kind of supposedly take the place of the original bolt, but uh-huh. I don't know if they really worth it. It's really just annoyance. It's not really a problem. It's, yeah, and people just look like it when you're driving by, like, man, I think that dude's truck's about to blow up. Yeah, yeah. No, it's kind of a tick, 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 tick. And then once it warms up, the yeah, manifold swells up and goes away. Right. But look back. For some reason, any, one of, any bolt in there can do it, but the one that does it most often is on the left side all the way to the back, back by the firewall. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I'll give it a shot. Okay, All right. man. All right. Thanks, John. Bye bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. Yeah, I saw the other day somebody came by and they had a, it's like a little metal plate. It's a bracket it, with a uh, with a bolt in a set bolt on it, and what it does is it bolts to the back of the head. There's there's some uh, holes in the head that aren't being used, mm-hmm. and the the plate it's a plate with a ninety on the front of it, right? And the plate bolts to the back of the head, which supports it. And then you take and you run the bolt back up against the manifold and push Just the manifold back into the head. Squeeze it back down. Right. It it seemed like a um, a real legit type mm-hmm. uh, repair. I mean, it's kind of a better, pain to put in. Better than pulling the head off and changing the manifold. Well, it, <laughs> it takes about an hour to put in because you can't see anything back right. there. Everything is feel. Mm-hmm. And it's it's right up next to the firewall. Um, that's the worst one. Yeah, the one on the front wouldn't be so bad, but that's the bolt that breaks off the most often. Also. It's the one on the back, yeah. Yeah. Ironically, <laughs> How about that? yeah. Why is it always the hardest one to get to? Is always, it, always yeah. gives the trouble. Or when you're working on the car and you drop a bolt, 
Oh, yeah. Why does it always roll to the exact geographic center of that vehicle? If you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when you if drop, you're not lucky, don't come out. Right. When you drop a boat, you listen. You listen for it to bounce down and hit the floor underneath the bang, vehicle. Bang, bang, ting, clunk. Right. Then you know you can get you can get it back. Right. If it doesn't do that, then you got to start looking. <laughs> and, you know, it's not an option for a professional mechanic just to leave a bolt out. No. You can't do that. No. You have to... And you really need to account for this bolt. Sure. Because, because you don't know where it went. Exactly. And if you got a lot of stuff apart, I remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a customer came in. He had taken his starter off his car. Right. And then the guy had gotten to a bigger job than he wanted to fool with, so he ended up having the car towed to us, and one bolt was missing. Right. Well, I asked, I said, go check your driveway really, really, really well and make sure that bolt's not laying somewhere in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Because if it is, that's great. But if not... If you drop down that bell housing, we may have to pull the transmission out of this car to verify that. And you know, I found that bolt Did after you? it got to the shop. Uh-huh. We took and we pushed the car inside, and I was parking another vehicle next to that space where that car had been. Mm-hmm. I looked down, and there lays the bolt on the floor, on the ground so it, in the it, parking it lot. Eventually, so came it came on through. It landed in the chassis somewhere, and the vibration from the wrecker shook it off, and it landed on the on the wrecker bed, and when he unloaded it, it slid it off underneath the car. Oh, well, at least that way you can account for I the knew, bolt. Yeah, we knew where the bolt was then, so it go. wasn't a big deal. Well, and that's the thing. You have to account for it. You can't just say, okay, well, I'll just go get another bolt. Because, okay, suppose it fell inside the bell housing. Now when you crank it up, it chews that flywheel up. Well, now transmission and everything else got to come apart sure. if it doesn't break the back of the engine block. <laughs> right. So, it, you know, things like that can just escalate into bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger things it's not as bad when you're working in the open but let's say you got the top of an engine apart mm-hmm. and you you're missing a bolt well where'd it could where'd it go it could have went in the lifter valley it could have went in the uh intake port it could have went anywhere and you crank a vehicle with a bolt in the intake port you've just destroyed that engine yeah, it's not gonna compress nope i remember many 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 years ago i had a gentleman that came to me with a just a heck of a knocking noise it was a big block, 396 engine, mm-hmm. and just he said, it just started all of a sudden. Just, right. Just a voracious knocking and a misfire. And I said, well, what was done to it before? Well, I was changing the carburetor, and uh, okay. Yep. So I pulled the, the intake manifold off first. I didn't see anything. Looked down, and I could see one of the valves just didn't look right. I couldn't see, you know, on a big block, I had a pretty good-sized port. It just didn't look like it was sitting flat in the seat. So I went ahead and pulled the cylinder head off on that side, and that bolt had gone down, dropped in the cylinder. It was embedded at the top of the piston. Right. And it had beat the snot out of those Oh, yeah. Valves. Oh, I'm sure. And I said, okay, you know, this thing is embedded at the top of that piston. It's probably swole the piston out, which is going to generally gall up in the cylinder head. Your best off bet is to rebuild the engine. Man, right. I don't want to do that. I said, well, I can dig the bolt out, put some new valves in it, put it back together, and hope for the best. But I'm telling you, long-term yeah. prognosis is not good. It's going to be an engine either way. Yeah. So he elected just to dig the bolt out. And right. We put two valves in it and put it back together, and it ran okay. But I don't know what happened long-term. I yeah. haven't heard about it again. But I've, I've seen that happen, the little nut that holds the the valve, uh, the valve air cleaner down on top of the carburetor. Uh-huh. A little wing nut. Notorious. They'll get dropped in the carburetor, and the first time that throttle opens and uh-huh. the flaps open, it sucks it into the motor. Well, you know, there was a... Uh, Nissan engine, a little four-cylinder Nissan engine, or V6 Nissan engine, and where the rails in the uh, all the air fuel management had those those uh-huh. rails inside the intake manifold. Yep, those little screws would back would out. back out. In fact, one of our customers had one. He brought it to us. Engine went out, and we tore it down. 
And sure enough, that little screw was missing, and it was embedded down inside the motor. And yep. again, it took out the whole motor. It had a rail assembly with a series of air, valve. air valves. And the air valves were bolted to the, the shaft with two Phillips-headed screws. Little brass screws, yep. if I remember right. And little uh, countersunk screw. And I think they were actually bratted over, but for some reason, maybe one, some of them did get bratted as well as they should have. Yeah. And the vibration of the engine was such that it would just work its way out. That's the only engine I've really seen that happen on. I'm sure it could have been others, but... We had one come in the other day, same. In fact, I saw a picture on the Internet. Somebody was asking, how could this have happened? And mm-hmm. he showed a picture of it. And I said, well. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yeah, Nissan, right? <laughs> yeah. It could happen. So, hey, we're going to take our final quick little break, and we'll be right back with just a whole lot more. Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Go ahead and give us a call. Number's 291-6901. We still have a little bit of time to a get your question answered. Get a question answered if you make it quick. We were talking to the gentleman earlier about the evolution of the, the Chevy the, small block engine. Right. And, of course, everybody is familiar with the old 350 or 5.7 liter. That sure. kind of came directly up from the 265. They originally designed in 1955. The 283, that, the 327, all the, the small block family. Yeah. 305, 400, right. any number of renditions of it. They even built a 4.3 liter in some of your... That was a that was a V8. Yeah, V8. 4.3. A 4.3 liter V8. Right. Had little bitty pistons little in it. I remember, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so they, there's been many, many renditions of it. Very, very, very successful engine. But that all ended when they came out with the current engine, which has nothing in common with the five. The, it's not like the old five seven. They call it a five three now, Correct. or six zero, or six two, or or four four eight four eight. Those are the different displacements of that engine. But that is a whole different family of engines sure easiest way to tell them apart is the newer engine the five three four eight six oh does not have a distributor right it is a camshaft crankshaft sensor it's, it's going to have with four, coil packs yeah right, it's going to have four coils on each uh, valve cover right it has eight individual coils and they fire directly into the spark plugs whereas all of your small block engines always had a distributor it was always in the back right and the same thing of the 4.3 six cylinder which was basically a rendition of the old small block. They just took the two middle cylinders. I took the front off, took number two and four cylinder out, and then put the back back together. Sure. Didn't physically do that. Right, but that was the design. That was the design, but it's basically the same engine. 
you know, you could take a water pump off of a nineteen fifty five two sixty five engine. It would and bolt put it to that right engine. <laughs> Might not yep. work, but you know, it would it would could physically bolt up because all the holes were in the same places because it was basically all one series of engine. Then when they came out with the new design, they totally changed all of that. Right. It's a whole different engine. So people will see 5.3 liter, and they go to the Internet and get a converter. That comes out to around 327 cubic inches, right? but has absolutely nothing, nothing. in common yeah. with the old 327. It's a totally different engine, and that, it confuses a lot of people. Well, the basic design is there. It's, it's an overhead valve, mm-hmm. single cam V-shaped design. engine, yeah. Design. And like you had mentioned during the break, it's one of the very, very few OV8 oh, out there. Right. Almost everything's overhead cam. It's overhead valve. valve right. V8, I'm sorry. The overhead valve, in, in the eyes of some engineers, has certain flaws, uh, flaws in it. Right. But I tell you, it is by far less problematic than the overhead cam engines are. Sure. For one thing, the timing chain is much, much smaller, much less complex. And you have the little rock arms and push rods and stuff to contend with. But it just seems we have... Well, way less problems out of those engines than we do the overhead cam engine. And like you were mentioning earlier, that is the same design they designed in 1955. So mm-hmm. so the the proof is already there. Mm-hmm. You know, this engine works. We've used it since 55. We've had very little trouble out of it. There's no reason to change it at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard scu- I have too. scuttlebutt that they're going to go to an overhead cam engine. Right. And I hadn't seen it yet. I, I heard that a couple of years ago, and I hadn't seen it yet. So They, they were talking about that back in 2014. Right a overhead cam small block Chevrolet engine offering and it has as far as I know it hasn't surfaced. Well yet. now they've they redesigned the five three now. It, it they've come out this is like generation five, I Something think. like that. Yeah. It actually takes uh eight quarts of oil instead of six. Mm-hmm. It's got a different accessory design on the front of it. Well some of them take the zero W twenty motor oil too, which yes. has always taken five W thirty since its inception, but I noticed some of the newer ones do take zero W twenty. So right. They, so there, there's there's some changes out there in the in the last two or three years right so you need to be aware and general motors had a issue with the oil filter the 48 the pf 48 ac delco filter Mm -hmm. is the same configuration looks exactly the same has the same sealing ring and threads as the pf 63 okay but the way that the oil flows through the engine the oil filter is designed to work with that okay so you're not supposed to replace a right. 63 in place of a 48. Right. It's not interchangeable, but even though it will physically They fit will on physically the motor. fit. They will physically work. But you're changing the internal valving of the oil pressure, where the oil pressure goes, mm-hmm. if you change the filters. And you could cause some problems. I know, I know they had some trouble with those engines. There's like a little screen underneath the oil pressure center. Cause there they had, is. They had a lot of trouble with oil pressure centers going out on those. So I guess they figured they would incorporate a little screen under it, maybe keep debris from getting into the sensor, and those little screens can plug up. Right. And the oil pressure will drop to zero, and a little warning light will come on. And I've seen people actually go to the extent of changing the oil pump to, to try to fix that problem, and that is not a small job on that engine. No, it's not. A lot of them, the intake has to come off of. Well, you got to take the intake off to get to the oil pressure sending mm-hmm. unit. Now, as far as the oil pump, right. the whole front of the motor has to come right. apart. It's, it's, it's a, driven off the front of the crankshaft right. rather than off the rear main bearing like the old small blocks. Well, they, they got rid of the, the drive shaft. I mean, right. the drive shaft. Distributor. The distributor. Mm-hmm. So the distributor no longer drives the oil pump. Right. So they had to move the oil pump to something that was driven so it runs off the front of the crankshaft now. Mm-hmm. Much, much, much bigger deal. So I guess the point is if you start to lose oil pressure or your oil pressure goes down, probably the last thing you want to look at is the oil pump. Sure. And 
in my experience, I mean, I have, count, have you ever seen an oil pump go yeah, bad? I mean, it's too hard to steal gears running in oil constantly. They hardly ever, they ever just, give trouble. In such a simple, simple design, little positive displacement pump, sure. I guess technically the spring could break in the relief valve, maybe, yeah. but I've never fixed a little oil pressure with an oil pump. I've I mean, seen a lot of people try. The first thing you need to do is pull the oil sending unit and put your manual gauge in it and an, actually see what the oil pressure is doing. A known good manual gauge and note what the oil pressure is because if you don't physically have oil pressure then there's nothing you can do on the outside that's exactly. an internal problem for the most part the bearings are worn there's excessive clearance and the pump can't keep up with the excessive clearance because it's dumping all out faster than it can put it out there so Correct. the pressure drops as a result and so if that's the case you're basically going to be into an engine rebuild or an engine replacement if you've got oil pressure and it doesn't indicate, then there's any number of things that can cause that. From the, like you mentioned, the oil pressure sending unit. Those are notorious for going out on the they on, the, out on that five three family, the mm-hmm. four eight, the five three, the six zero, oh, the six two, and it's on the back of the engine where the original oil pressure sending unit was mm-hmm. on the small blocks. But to access it because it's so tight into the firewall, you have to take the intake off right. in most applications. Well, after I think it was Generation Three, they went to that bigger intake that covered that up. The earlier ones, you could get your hand in there. It was no, you, you no couldn't see it, but you could you could you couldn't feel see it. it, but you could feel it, and you could reach back there and you could work blindly. You could take it out if you knew what you know you knew what you were working on. Right, the later ones that's not an option any longer. Now the intake has to come off to get to them, but there's also a little screen under there that can plug up. So yep. you got to not neglect that. Right, when you take the sending unit out, you need to take the screen out and either replace it. It or clean it now we've and also seen a number of them where the oil pressure sending will start to leak when it leaks the oil comes up the little stud and it swells up the, the insulation on that connector yes so the connector no longer holds tight and you go to all the extent of changing that out put it back together and you still got no oil pressure and it's because the connector is also bad right that connect- sending unit caused it but it made the connector go bad. So you want to inspect that connector very, very carefully. Make sure it goes on nice and tight. If and there's uh, any oil on it at all, go ahead and do yourself a favor and change, change it. it. Yeah, it's so much easier to do it while the intake oh, yeah. oil is off Most definitely. than after you put it all back together. And finally, we have seen some gauges go out on those where the gauge and the dash will, will go out. Occasionally. Occasionally that happens, and you can change everything on the outside. you still got no oil pressure showing. Mm-hmm. And generally, when the gauge goes out, you're not going to get the warning chime. Right. Because it doesn't know that it doesn't have oil pressure. It's just not indicating to you. The instrument cluster is actually seeing the uh, signal coming in, but it's just not going to the gauge. Right. So So it doesn't set the chime off. If the pressure drops down, maybe the check engine light comes on and chime chime goes on, you're more likely to either know oil pressure or outside at the sending unit. Or outside the sending unit or connector. So just a little tip to save you a whole lot of unnecessary work. (laughs) I see we're getting real low on time. We're going to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out of here. like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service. Whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. Find a written review and fill it out for us. And, you know, if you can't find a place for a review on your listening service, you can go to Google and just Google Agco Automotive, which is the name of our company, and put a review there. We appreciate that just as much. That works, too. There you go. And, you know, those reviews move us up in the rankings because when people go in they type in auto repair show, then it's going to look at all the shows, and the ones with the most rankings or the highest rankings, it's going to bring up first. Right. And generally, people don't want to skim through 10 pages of listings to find the one they listen to. So the ones that come up first get listened to more. The ones that get listened to more get higher ratings, and so therefore you can keep doing the show. There we go. <laughs> when your ratings start to fall, pretty soon, boom. That's it. Give Swift you the, kick. Yeah, give you the, the bum's rush to get you on out of there. You know, nobody wants to listen to that. That's it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.